0: What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Sunday in week five saw a pair of big upsets, one we saw coming, and the other that completely blindsided us. How a two and three circa million week was about as bad as we could do, especially given that it was a winning week overall. Strong results in the teaser bucket and the Moneyline Parlay bucket getting MVP'd by Russell Wilson. And what the Dak Prescott injury does to contests and betting markets going forward. Plus, baseball was back last night? Huh. And we put a cap on the NBA Finals and the restart as a whole. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window, I'm your host, Matt Russell, and before we get to NFL Week 5 Sunday review, do you know there's baseball going on? Baseball started on Sunday night. Frankly, I didn't have a play for it, and I didn't even really know that it was happening until after the podcast on Friday, that's for sure. I just assumed both series started on Monday, so my bad on that one. We don't have anything necessarily for the AL from a series standpoint. Or really, game one obviously went down to the wire if it, you even noticed that it was happening. Obviously, kind of a you know, taking a back seat to, of course, the NFL game last night. But oh, by the way, a championship was handed out in the NBA. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, but worth mentioning today, because I actually have two plays in the baseball today, Houston. Plus 120 right now is what I'm seeing. I think that's fair value uh, for them as a small underdog against Tampa in game two already. Kind of strange that they'll have two games done in that series before the NL game even gets going. And then over in the NL, I think minus 130 right now for the Dodgers is a pretty generous price. Now, listen, we've been betting against the Braves the literal entire playoffs <laughs> up until this point. So you know, take that for whatever it's worth. So that said, at minus 130, because the Braves have had this winning streak, and let's be honest, five-game winning streak in the playoffs against the Cincinnati Reds team that couldn't hit worth a bleep and a Marlins team that unfortunately sort of reverted back to the Marlins where, (laughs) you know, after beating the Cubs in two straight, it sort of felt like they might have something going. And that obviously just was not the case. So I think this is a major step up in competition for both Max Fried and the Braves. Give me the Dodgers at minus 130. So underdog in the first game, favorite in the second game. We'll see how that goes. Uh, As for the NFL, let's get right into it. Two and three in the contest. And that's about as bad as we could have done, which sucks because the common plays did really well yesterday and of course the last two cuts were Carolina plus two and Miami plus nine and those two wins were about as easy as you could possibly get so you know four and three in these big plays uh, but doesn't do us any good necessarily in the contest Uh, for the Circa Million. As for Circa Survivor, we go with the Texans, uh, an elaborate conversation if you missed that on Sunday morning uh, with friend of the podcast David Pereira as we anguished about what to do in that contest and obviously it worked out because the Texans won and you know a lot of people might be thinking like you know you really risked it here, you've come on say four probably four straight Uh, Mondays and talked about how people got too cute in Survivor and that there were some you know one or two obvious plays that you know if you weren't doing that that early in the season you were sort of you know obviously (laughs) making a massive mistake and then we go and we get a little cute but at certain points you just sort of have to take a risk and there's going to be two or three points during this season where that kind of risk sets you up going forward and you know who knows how the rest of this kind of goes right we could literally get knocked out next week and all of it is for naught but when it came down to it our final choice was between the Texans and the Ravens and if you just look at the schedule you know if you're a survivor person right you just have to kind of look ahead and if you're mapping it all the way out the Ravens have a pretty soft schedule in those last couple of weeks and so the advantage that the Texans winning this past week gave us with regards to that is you know kind of you know kind of immeasurable at this point um, so we 'll see you know whether we end up even getting there to take advantage of that, but obviously a pretty big release off of our shoulders for that one so there 's going to be some sketchier plays when it comes to survivor, right because you need eighteen teams in this particular contest, the you know seventeen teams in the one that you 're playing you know, in your office pool or at home or or whatever. And so we're set up. We're set up pretty nicely here. Obviously, things like the Raiders beating the Chiefs yesterday um, can happen at any time, right? That informs us for the rest of essentially the football season here is that maybe not anybody can beat anybody, but we have to look past the sort of branding of these teams and even sometimes the point spreads involved, right? Like, you know, we talk about trying to avoid divisional matchups. That's what happened there, right? The Raiders are certainly familiar enough with the Chiefs that they've played a couple of good quarters defensively and take advantage of a pretty porous Chiefs defense yesterday. That's the type of thing that can happen now listen it could have very well happened with the Jags beating the Texans it certainly looked like that game was way closer than the score actually indicated so right this can happen in any 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 given time any given Sunday so um, all in all pretty you know good with that so let's go through the game's You know, Real quickly here, Panthers and Falcons, again, kicking myself for not including them in the top five of the Circa contest picks, Uh, as comfortable of a quote-unquote road underdog win as you're ever going to see. You had the classic Falcons score on their first drive early on, followed by basically not doing anything the rest of the way. No real surprise from that team. Of course, Dan Quinn gets fired, and of course, the bad news is we can no longer bet against Dan Quinn. It's over. Maybe it turns into maybe we can bet against Raheem Morris. And wouldn't that be exciting for him to sort of take the baton from Dan Quinn in this situation? That'd be great. But again, alas, Dan Quinn, we hardly knew ye. Uh, Raiders and the Chiefs, you know, just talked about that, right? Like, again, any given Sunday, 40 points for the Raiders. The Chiefs defense, for as bad as we can talk about some other defenses that played, hard to imagine anything worse than the Chiefs defense yesterday who were just letting guys roam free in the secondary, getting bulldozed by Josh Jacobs throughout the game. You know, obviously would have loved to have been on this money line versus the other double-digit money line that we were hoping to score with. But again, that just goes to show these big underdogs can win from time to time. Uh, Does this say anything necessarily about the Chiefs going forward? I mean, other than the defense being sketchy, probably not. But I think you just have to be wary about betting the Chiefs kind of blindly because you're afraid of Patrick Mahomes because that defense is just as scary when it comes to turning the other quarterback into looking like Patrick Mahomes. Cardinals and the Jets here, and the way this market moved, it just sort of seemed like somebody knew something, right? That something was up. Turns out nobody knew anything. Cardinals won easily. That teaser leg, Cardinals minus one, cashes easily for us in that one. Eagles and the Steelers here. I think what we've got brewing here is an overvalued Steelers team that, is continuing to win games, of course, and in this case they covered, but that really wasn't all that deserved from the, you know, given the fact that they were seven and a half point favorites on close against that Eagles team. Um, Talked about how at plus seven and a half it was sort of a mandatory small bet on the Eagles. Fine with losing that because, again, I don't think we were wrong here necessarily, right? It was just a matter of sort of one play at the end of a game, Obviously, the Eagles go and they bring out the kicker for a 55-some odd yard field goal to take the lead with still three and a half minutes to go. It was only fourth and five. Really just a porous decision there, and we have to start wondering what's going on with the coaching staff over in Philadelphia. Uh, Rams and Washington, again, one of the three losses of our top five to seven bets. And This is a little bit uncomfortable because of how great it was in theory to see Alex Smith come out, right? We've all sort of, you know, well aware of the story. If you're like me, you literally remember the play where he got hurt on. I was watching it live at the time. I believe I had Washington as an underdog in that game when that happened. And so it's really cool for him to come back. And I've talked about this well into the off season and we've got comeback player of the year bets for Alex Smith and so i don't see how he does not win that at, the, at this point in time i don't even care if he plays again the rest of the season i think that's enough this you know 17 some odd surgery something like like i can't even remember the number it was like re- completely ridiculous um almost lost his leg and now he's in an NFL game problem is uh i didn't sign up for for that and so when you're betting a game like this and you you know you, If you listen to the show last week, you heard us talking about, you know, Kyle Allen's experience with Ron Rivera in Carolina and sort of the trust that he has for him from an offensive standpoint and knowing the offense and running the plays. And they go down and they get a score. He actually runs it in early on. And you go, okay, they're going to be able to move the ball here a little bit. Now, they struggled for a couple of drives after that, but then he gets hurt on, you know, a first down play at the end of what the second quarter and then the game the rest of the way kind of you know 23 to 10 type of zone 20 to 7 23 to 10 and you go okay we're just really one touchdown away in what is essentially a monsoon from just kind of getting in the back door here and while it's great to see Alex Smith out there he hasn't played quarterback in an NFL game in over two years and so just that sentence alone tells me that it's you don't really want him in the mix there and again it's great to see him in there but again that's not really what we're doing here and kind of a bummer because I didn't really sign up for Alex Smith now give him full week of reps and now that he's got some you know you know, the the cobwebs shaken off. And it, he was literally carrying Aaron, Aaron Donald on his back at one point. So the leg looks okay. All of that stuff, I think, gives maybe Washington a better chance to win going forward. It's just not what we signed up for yesterday. So kind of a drag when it comes to that. Uh, Bengals and the Ravens, the other one of the other three that didn't go well. And this one was just flat out a bad selection. And if you had told me that what at 20 to you know 20 points through three quarters for the Ravens, would I feel pretty good about covering that game? I actually would have, right? I would have expected the Bengals to have at least, uh, you know, 10 points, something along those lines, so that they would be within range for a potential backdoor cover. We happened to get Joe Burrow at his absolute worst. He, and this will probably go sort of under the radar because how non-competitive the game was and uninteresting and how, you know, little attention it got, that was about as bad of a quarterback performance outside of Jimmy Garoppolo yesterday um, as you'll see in the league all year and of course the pressure that he consistently gets because his offensive line can't block worth a bleep obviously reared his ugly head against Baltimore that being said you know 27 to 3 it's 20 to 3 it's 20 nothing 17 nothing at half And the defense is sort of, you know, obviously got hit in the mouth a little bit early on, but they had sort of steadied themselves. And it had sort of backdoor written all over, but the Bengals just couldn't get anything done. And then even towards the end at 20-0, you know, start of the fourth quarter, they go and we get the fourth string, you know, the ghetto Mike Thomas, right? Like your poor man's Mike Thomas is getting stripped on, you know, let's be honest, a play that not a ton of professional wide receivers get stripped on. And Baltimore goes down and gets the touchdown and it was over at that point. So um, two really disappointing plays on my part. One that I didn't, you know, from a quarterbacking standpoint, unfortunately for our purposes, um, didn't really sign up for. And didn't really think that Joe Burrow could be that bad. So we you know, But again, we, if we get the worst of Joe Burrow in that situation, um, I still think big picture against easier defenses and easier circumstances, Joe Burrow is certainly worth backing as an underdog and we'll probably be looking to do that this week because I think because of that performance, we're going to get some decent value. We'll talk more about that on Tuesday. Uh, Jaguars and the Texans, right? The big survivor pick, the thing that we just you know, sweated over both before and during the game. Uh, This one was way closer than it seemed, and I think it's probably going to create some value on Jacksonville, and it's probably going to create some value fading the Texans because this is the rare 16-point win where I actually feel worse about the team that won the game, and I actually feel a little bit better about the Jags. Jags without three of their top defensive players, which was, you know, what we were hoping to see come Sunday morning with those guys being questionable. I'd like to think that they're going to be back this week. We're going to keep an eye on that. And the Jags were able to move the ball against a porous Texans defense. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot, literally on the right foot of Steven Hauschka, who missed two kicks, one of which was 24 yards that I didn't even see because I flipped away when they were going to line up for that field goal, assuming that he was going to make it, and the game would be 10-10 going into halftime. It wasn't. He missed a couple other kicks. Excuse me, one other kick. And the Texans pulled away late thanks to some, you know, relatively aggressive decision-making from Romeo Cornell, and we sort of tip our cap to him for that. But but that was about as easily set up for the Texans as it could possibly be, and it took a lot for them to finally pull away at the end against a, you know, pretty beat-up Jags team. Uh, Into the next game, again, Dolphins were all over that. Had Dolphins' money line, had, you know, of course had them on the spread, and just Maybe it was sort of shell shock from the previous week of them being able to move the ball against Seattle and then not being able to score touchdowns. Well, that wasn't really an issue this time around, at least not in the first quarter. Um, Did sort of have to settle for a few field goals in the second quarter. And the 49ers, of course, looked awful. Their quarterback situation not improved with the return of Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, You know, people talking about how, he's still a little ginger with that ankle sprain and i kind of wondered about that myself because you see guys with high ankle sprains and you hear a lot about how sometimes those high ankle sprains are worse than actual broken like legs because they linger longer and so the fact that he was just back after two weeks felt a little like having watched you know nick mullins the previous week It felt a little sort of panicky type of a move. Like, okay, we have to bring him back because we don't have any better options. Well, you know, they took him out at half. You know, they talked about, Shanahan talked about after the game, and he's like, well, we had to protect him and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you weren't really protecting him when you put him in the game in the first place, now were you? So, um, again, (laughs) the other game that was just about as easy as you could possibly get it um, from a point spread and frankly, a money line standpoint, um, the Dolphins, again, looking like they can move the ball. And the key to them is, are you getting pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick? And if you can't do it, he will shred you. And in this case, to the tune of 222 for 28 and 350 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Colts and the Browns here. This one we needed desperately. Uh, at that that point, especially watching the early goings on between the Giants and the Cowboys, which we'll get to, of course, in a second here, uh, and the Browns end up getting it done, talked about how the, you know, the case against the Browns this week was really only one, there was only one issue. And that was, can the Browns handle success? And the idea that they won three games in a row against, you know, now we really know some pretty porous teams, especially defensively, could they come home and keep that momentum going? And they go and they get the pick six of Phil Rivers, who, again, is starting to look, it's starting to look like Phil Rivers and Tom Brady are, you know, the sort of mirror image of each other on opposite sides of the league from a conference standpoint right you've got them throwing pick sixes on a weekly basis right like one of them is throwing a pick six on a weekly basis and it's the type of thing where you say you're not afraid of anything the Colts are going to do except the Browns then give up a kickoff return and so anytime there's a kickoff return touchdown you go like how are you supposed to sort of handicap that like you can handicap for Phil Rivers might blow this game one way or another right whether it's a pick six or soul-crushing late interception like that's a thing that has to be built into a handicap kickoff return touchdowns are just never going to be the situation going into a game and it almost brought that you know brought the Colts back to life where they got to within seven points and then of course Phil Rivers with the atrocious safety on the intentional grounding where he's trying to make a case after like I don't even know what he's doing he's like pointing as though like the wind took the ball or something and like that's why it was so ridiculously out of bounds Um, at any rate like at that point you knew that the Browns were probably safe but um, was a little bit concerning just based on the fact that who gives a kickoff return from a Browns standpoint, but they showed some maturity there. They held up, right, and their defense got it done. And again, this is a classic situation of people talking about some entity out of the blue. And that entity in this case was the Colts defense. Like, oh, the Colts defense, like, this is, you know, amazing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, again, it's been four games against some really mediocre opponents. And a mediocre is probably being kind given this, you know, the state of all of those teams along the way right I bet you if the Colts played the Vikings now that game would go a lot different differently from an offensive standpoint for the Vikings and so once you sort of hear this like groundswell of like maybe the Colts defense is the best in the league it's like well or not they just had some early season success and the Browns were essentially moving the ball up and down the field on the Colts both through the air and on the ground Uh, and so again a key win for us in that one because We go over and we talked about what are the ceilings or what are sort of the, you know, point scored for either team with the Giants and the Cowboys that we sort of think is going to happen here, right? So it's like, talked about 35 being the number for the Cowboys. Well, sure enough, 37. Talked about how it's hard to imagine the Giants scoring 24 points. Well, they scored 34 points. And that tells you just how bad the Cowboys' defense actually is. And so... For one, of course, the Giants get seven points off of a turnover. And we talked about how turnovers have been the Cowboys issue. And can the Giants, a team that hasn't done much in the way of turning teams over, can they turn the Cowboys over the way these other teams could? Didn't think they could. They could. <laughs> it turns out. Turns out even the Giants can turn you over and in this case, get a pick six. And so... <laughs> You know, it's simple math from a whatever standpoint like okay, you take those 7 points off and it's 37 27, right? Like the Giants were able to score 27 points instead of the kind of max 23 or 24 that we thought they might be able to score. And so again, not all that far off from that standpoint. From a Cowboys offensive standpoint, they scored 37 points and Dak Prescott, again, horrific injury. You guys, you know, you've watched the games, you know, you know what went on. I don't have to sort of recap that for you. But as much, as little as we signed up for Alex Smith coming in after two years off from NFL live action play, I also didn't really sign up for Andy Dalton in the fourth quarter. And his numbers look okay and all of that. You know, and that offense might be okay going forward. That sort of remains to be seen. But that's a full... You know, when Dak goes out, it's second and one on a drive that the Cowboys get a touchdown on anyway to take an eight-point lead and there's still a full quarter left and again I don't know what's going to happen necessarily with the Giants offense they end up actually scoring 11 points in that fourth quarter and the Cowboys get two field goals but if Dax in the game are one of those field goals a touchdown or both of those field goals a touchdown like there's you know a lot of moving pieces there that with an eight-point lead and a healthy Dak the rest of the game I'm actually liking our chances to kind of win the rest of the game right get you know beat the Giants by a field goal win that game by 11 the rest of the way through it's just when Andy Dalton comes in the offense gets a little more predictable uh you know there's obviously a mobility difference all that kind of stuff so um, as far as the DAC injury is concerned like brutal obviously don't have to sort of you know rehash that great guy everybody's you know agrees that uh that he's a quality you know quality character all of that kind of thing from a betting standpoint right let's talk about that for a second couple of different things here one survivor pools right a lot more interesting with regards to when you might want to use Dallas if at all at this point right you're not going to be tripping over yourself for the Andy Dalton Cowboys with that defense involved, the way that you might have sort of given them the benefit of the doubt a couple of different times the rest of the way here, with Dak in the lineup. Two, uh, we're going to at some point, probably this week, have a look at some of the in season prop markets your receiving leaders, your rushing leaders, and most importantly now, your pass leaders. He was 300 plus yards clear of anybody else and was the heavy favorite, I believe it was like 150 plus 175, something along those lines, to lead the league in passing yards. Now, obviously, that is completely up for grabs and and a market that becomes a lot more interesting. So we'll take a look at that later on in the week. And so, you know, the other element, of course, you know, what kind of a difference on a from a line standpoint does a Dak Prescott mean to this team when Andy Dalton's in there right a very sort of average quarterback and I tweeted out yesterday like if you've ever wondered what an offense that's absolutely humming on all different levels looks like beyond turning the ball over by the way and maybe it turns out where Dalton's just not going to turn the ball over That's a different situation, but he almost threw a pick six of his own yesterday, so I don't think that's necessarily the case, but it's going to show, okay, what if we took like a thoroughly mediocre average NFL quarterback, not a backup quarterback, but a thoroughly average one, maybe the 25th best quarterback in the league, and put him into this offense, how does that change things? And I think just from a skill set standpoint, that's going to go worse than I think people think. And again, this Cowboys defense is so incredibly bad. Like there is not one thing that they do well. They do not tackle well. They are bad on third downs. They are, you know, they're not turning teams over. They were fortunate enough to turn Daniel Jones over for a touchdown of, you know their own but again that's the type of thing that you actually can include in a handicap that Daniel Jones is going to fumble the ball and there's a 50-50 shot on whether that gets returned for a touchdown at this point in his career because even Daniel Jones at 20 of 33 for no touchdowns and just 222 yards right it certainly felt like he did better than that given how sieve-like that Cowboys defense actually is and they've got a matchup coming up with Arizona next Monday and that number right now is Arizona minus two and a half and I think you have to go you have to grab that number right now and who knows where that's going to end up a full week from now where that pushes through you know from two and a half to three does it push all the way up to three and a half like if you're sort of thinking like it's the Cardinals offense against that defense like they should be able to kind of do whatever they want that's kind of what everybody's thinking and so from a market standpoint at two and a half you have to buy that two and a half and then sort of reevaluate things a full week from now and you know if that means that you like dallas later on i think you can get dallas plus three or plus three and a half where you can create yourself a little bit of a middle or some sort of synthetic alternate line Uh, i just think that's the right move from that standpoint vikings and the seahawks on sunday night right we needed The Vikings to close the money line, bucket, parlay, one of the legs there that I think was about 30, 35 to 1, something along those lines. And of course, 13-0, right? By the way, the close of Carolina and Miami were the first two legs of that. But you got a 13-0 lead. You're feeling pretty good about it. And then within five minutes, the Seahawks are up 21 to 13 and now we're looking at a one in four contest type situation and your heart sinks and you're like how did we even get here the Vikings were dominant in the first half of that game Uh, and of course everything that happened happened people are gonna talk about sort of the analytics of you know, do you kick a field goal up five there with you know fourth and essentially inches? Uh, a lot of people like the quarterback sneak. I don't know. I can just sort of close my eyes and see Kirk Cousins just getting stuffed in a quarterback sneak type of a situation. Um, but the key here for me was Dalvin Cook being out for that game, and Alexander Madison did well up until that point. But you watch the replay of that, you know, deciding essentially or the early pre-deciding play, and he runs directly into like the one group of people that could have stopped him. He had a ton of room on the right side and you just go, I bet Dalvin Cook would have the vision to see that hole and that's the difference between those two guys. Beyond the fact that Dalvin Cook is just obviously a horse and could barrel through that and probably get the first down just from a sheer brute strength standpoint, I just think that the difference between Madison and Cook is is that vision and that ability to maybe see that hole put a foot in the ground pop out to the right side and even just to sort of fall forward to end the game in that situation so uh, I was just kind of funny find it funny like we we've at in 2020 right we talk so much now about coaches and coaching decisions and the analytics and how this decision supposed to be made and that decision supposed to be made and second guessing the coaches you know there's certain spots where like I, you know, wish it were the old days where you just go like, why didn't that guy run there? <laughs> why didn't he run in that direction? <laughs> like, we sort of beat up quarterbacks, obviously, for that kind of thing. But like, there's certain points where you just go, you know, if the running back just like opened his eyes, saw that's that hole, and just shifted to the right a little bit a big enough guy that he's going to get that first down. Like maybe not score necessarily, but the first down was the only thing that mattered in that situation. So uh, of course, you know, we get rust at the end, MVP, right? <laughs> Good news is it makes just another primetime case for our Russell Wilson uh, MVP bet that we made before the season starts. So silver lining uh, from that standpoint, would have been nice to knock out a few more uh, in Survivor. Um, in that one so is what it is all all in all uh, a winning day in part because or really entirely because of uh, the teaser bucket teaser bucket is back to killing it again you know sort of depending on which ones you did nine to one uh, or nine and one I should say uh, yesterday for the teaser bucket Um <sighs> I gave out a couple of totals yesterday, thinking we could get out of the woods with regards to picking a couple of unders. Went one and one on those unders, and then had one over in the Rams and Washington, uh, and that one was at 30 points, and we just needed 44 <laughs> in that one. And, of course, the rains came, and, again, Alex Smith um Struggled you know, from a sort of production standpoint, obviously, uh, Washington did not score at all in the second half. And the Rams offense was stymied by both the weather and the Washington defense in the second half. And that just ends up right on 40. Um, So disappointing from that standpoint, one and two in the totals uh, yesterday. Um, As for the Monday nighter here, uh, weird story with Michael Thomas turns out not, you know, out tonight because of the injury, out because he punched somebody in the face on his own team. Not ideal, not something that you sort of associate with a guy like Michael Thomas. Um, this is number sort of toggling back around seven. You remember it, you know, got up to like nine last week. Um, and that just kind of goes to show, right? Like people know before you do about these injuries, about these, you know... <laughs> suspensions whatever because that number dipped down to seven and a half before hitting seven long before we knew that michael thomas is going to be out and so now that it's at seven it's down to even six and a half here kind of veering around that key number for me i think it's worth a small bet on the saints minus six and a half that's available on pinnacle um and a couple other spots as well tonight uh again Grab that while you can because, again, this is sort of up and down uh, all over that number here. We'll sort of see where that closes. Um, you know, wouldn't mind, obviously, seeing the Chargers win outright. Again, that's from a survivor pool standpoint, which, again, is sort of getting more and more popular here as we go and worth mentioning. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Tuesday game tomorrow. Um, and I'll talk about it more tomorrow. But I do like, again, assuming everybody's playing, and assuming all the sort of main people uh, that are involved are healthy. I like the Titans plus three and a half right now that, you know, you have to pay a lot of juice for that. I think that kind of goes away tomorrow. I don't know that the line necessarily moves, but I think we end up seeing, you know, Bills minus three and a half at minus 110, and I do like the Titans. Again, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. Um, As for the NBA, probably need to mention that, right? They handed out the uh, Larry OB. The Raptors are no longer your defending NBA champions. It lasted as long as it possibly could. Raptors fans, that was fun. And you know, I didn't play the game yesterday. Had already taken enough of a beat the last couple of games. You know, taking the Lakers after they went. You know, after the series got to two to one. Uh, you know, took them a couple of different times there, and then obviously you know bad beat on the Harrow shot, and then in game five. The heat keep it close you know or, or you know tighten up the series by getting the win and I you know people smarter than me if you know why last night's game happened and not on Friday night I'm all ears I'm happy to, I'm happy to hear it I don't know why last night's game which is you know listen it's an accelerated version of the way I saw most of those those games going right like we were on the Lakers pretty consistently throughout the series and i don't know what happened what the impetus was for the lakers to just be absolutely lights out on sunday night um so again is what it is we cashed the lebron mvp ticket which again kind of easier than it really should have been uh taking advantage in in a case where not often do you see one of these mvp type markets being priced at minus 135, minus 150, and that actually being good value, right? It took the Lakers being minus 350 type favorites for that to even be the case, right? Because a lot of times these series are locked, Sort of lined a lot closer, and it's you know, minus you know, 160 on one side and plus 140 on the other side, and then of course, you know, there's multiple players involved and all of that kind of stuff, right? And like the only thing that's sort of comparable to that is even just Super Bowl MVP stuff, where occasionally you'll get like a Tom Brady even money to win the mvp patrick mahomes you know plus 120 to win the mvp like that kind of thing where you go yeah that's fair but like there's a couple of other guys like in last year's case like damian williams like could be you know could have a game where he ends up winning the mvp beyond even kind of getting into like defensive players that have a really big game and all of that kind of stuff but when you're talking about a series like you have you take out the sort of fluke one-game performances, right? Like, if it was a one-game MVP type thing, Ray John Rondo might have been the MVP for, you know, the game yesterday. But over the course of the series, you have five, six games. You know, LeBron is going to bring the consistency each and every time. And so if if the Lakers are going to win, there's a very small chance of it being somebody other than LeBron. And that's sort of what we had. That's where we pegged it. And at minus 150, it sort of feels like, you know, a cheap price to pay, and, like, uh, you know, why bother, that kind of thing. And the answer, simply put, is that if the Lakers are minus 350 to win the series, LeBron's got to be at least minus 250 to win the MVP. And the fact that he wasn't, that's what created value. So value doesn't have to be an underdog price, right? Like, the value isn't, like, oh, Bam is 15 to 1, like, there's value on that. It's like, well, not really, because it's going to take way bigger series of events from like an upset standpoint for Bam Adebayo to be the MVP in this series, right? Like you're better off with Jimmy Butler at that point in time. So um, at the end of the day, we end up doing okay on the finals because of the LeBron uh, MVP, and because of the first game, all those props that we had basically broke even on the series props because the sort of Jimmy Butler score most points in the series at nine to one kind of petered itself out at the end. And LeBron, with two big games at the end from a scoring standpoint, got his average up over 28.5. Adebayo's average under 16.5, got a bit of a scare yesterday because he had a nice game, uh, but that ends up cashing. So, sort of basically splits those three bets at one and two because one was a longer shot bet and bio was sort of the higher um price uh splits those bets and so um from a NBA final standpoint, we do okay from a playoff standpoint we work our way out of a hole that we kind of got ourselves into after the first round because of that Utah Denver you know Denver coming back from three one down right we were pretty heavy into the Utah series price um, at a really good number right we were getting three four to one after that first uh, overtime loss way back when which feels like about a hundred years ago. Um, But of course, regular season bubble stuff went so well at about 68% from an against the spread standpoint. Uh, So overall, we ended ended up netting about eight and a half units across the board in the NBA restart, which is not exactly the 51 units that we made from the NHL restart. Um, But if you told me that this whole restart bubble type setup was going to net us about 60 units altogether, I would have been like, that's pretty cool. I will take that Um, quick mention about college football on Saturday another nice college football weekend Uh, all in all uh, I believe it was what 12 and 8 factoring everything in there of course there were some live plays in there there were some numbers that we were waiting on probably the dumbest thing I did was wait on vanderbilt to get to plus 14 saw that they got to plus 14 bet it and then saw that the reason they got to plus 14 was because they had like 40 guys out with COVID. now they wouldn't be the first team to have 40 guys out with COVID. that sort of seems to happen every week and in some cases the team wins anyway so it's not like you'd completely change everything you were doing there um but that being said uh you're trusting a already pretty poor team that has an excuse to just continue to get Beat up on, and that's not a mistake they were going to make again. The sort of fluky loss, the bad beat, if you will. Texas plus three. I was all over Twitter on the Red River River Rivalry, um, because again, we've got these teams and these coaches who just have no idea how to put themselves in the best possible way, best possible position to win football games. It's ridiculous. Why you wouldn't go for two at the end of regulation? at the end of the first (laughs) overtime, at the end of the second overtime, knowing that you cannot stop the other team. Like, that was not happening at any point in time. And so Tom Herman did it twice, and even Lincoln Riley did it once. They just kept on pushing the boulder down, you know, up the hill, so to speak. And, again, if it had just been one, any one of those had been a two-point conversion attempt. Didn't even have to make it our plus 3 would have cashed of course it didn't because OU in the fourth overtime uh third overtime fourth overtime doesn't really matter they go and they get the touchdown and the two point conversion then Texas predictably gets out of sync and that's the other thing right if you're Texas and your quarterback isn't particularly good at throwing the ball you have a you know tighter area for which you can work right you need to be ahead of schedule on offense because the minute that you take a holding penalty and are now on you know first and 20 second and 15 something along those lines you are now relying on your quarterback who's not a very good thrower of the football to throw you out of trouble here and back into this game and of course he couldn't do it and immediately threw an interception uh in one of the more you know least surprising events uh of the entire weekend we did cash a three leg of the round robin parlay nc state boston college and ecu get there uh western kentucky not even close as that was the final leg of you know the four teams right where we would have been able to connect it four different combinations of the three uh by five round robin parlay um left out texas a&m that was the one cut of that group i sort of had six of them lined up and i was just like you know what i don't quite believe that texas a&m as much as i think they can cover this seven point spread i don't I just can't see them actually winning the game because they just never win these types of games, and somehow they pulled that game off um, in the end. Uh, Georgia minus six live. They end up covering the full twelve points, even though they gave up literally a touchdown on I think basically the first play of the game. You know from you know when they were on offense, they gave up a defensive touchdown, and I just wish that Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama could just give up defensive touchdowns on essentially their first play so that we can get better numbers on those guys every single week Alabama obviously got everything they could possibly handle from Lane and Mississippi and so they don't cover um which again it's what we talked about right like that's a lot of points but I'm just going to stay away so I never really touched that game at all um Missouri and LSU it's time to just evaluate LSU as just a I mean put different uniforms on them sort of take take them and you know treat them like they're Mississippi state and not Louisiana state or just make up a new school if you absolutely have to because if you think of Louisiana state at this point as the LSU Tigers looking anything like last year you're just you're going to lose a ton of money because they are not good at all I was actually able to grab the money line in that one in the middle of the game at plus 825 because it was just like these teams are gonna go back and forth LSU's defense is atrocious and you know this line is still built on Missouri them thinking that Missouri's not very good and I don't know even necessarily that Missouri's all that good you know we had them last week you know, plus a bunch of points against Tennessee, and they couldn't even get it done against Tennessee. But the fact that they were just working LSU's defense up and down the field tells you all you need to know about LSU going forward. And so if they're going to keep lining LSU in these sort of 10 to 14 point, or really any sort of favorite at this point, against a team that can move the ball in any way, we're going to make a ton of money fading LSU going forward. And sort of from a big picture standpoint, by the way, you have to look really hard. If you are going to take a favorite at this point in college football, like it either has to be like we talked about with Clemson and Miami, where you're getting value because people are wanting Miami to be competitive against Clemson like that line at under at fourteen or so was such a desperate hope amongst society that somebody can challenge Clemson. And it was the same way the week before with Texas A&M against Alabama. And again, Alabama covers that number, and that could have gone a couple of different ways. And certainly, you know, having seen Texas just beat Florida, you go, okay, that kind of makes sense, though. Like Texas, is, or Texas A&M is actually pretty decent, And it's like, maybe, but we're talking about different leagues here. And even though Florida was the fourth ranked team in the country, and they very well might be the fourth best team, probably closer to fifth, once you factor in, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, it's like, that's a different league at this point. Like, these teams are all playing at a different level than the four teams that I just mentioned at the very top. And so, (laughs) unless it's those teams How is anybody supposed to be favored against anybody else of any sort of, you know, repute, right? Like we had covered, we covered with Arkansas State as minus 15 favorites over the weekend. But they were playing a team that's literally in a different division, right? They were playing an FCS team. So like... That doesn't really count, right? Um, you know, Obviously, you talk about how Vanderbilt didn't cover as an underdog. And it's like, okay, so Vanderbilt goes under the list of teams that you can fade as an underdog. Um, anybody else, like, it's hard to bet on a favorite at this point in college football. So you're going to see a lot more underdogs showing up on my cards on Saturday morning when it comes to that, you know, type of thinking um, and I think we'll hit a few more money line parlays here down the rest of the season unless things get heavily adjusted but it's not going to get to a point where the books are going to weight all of the underdogs way way lower right like it's always going to sort of be favorites you know start there type of a thing and for us I think it has to be underdogs start there even more so than it already has been. Anyway, that's the story. I hope everybody had a great weekend. Um, the you know, French Open stuff, uh, congrats to Iga Swatek. I know a lot of people were sort of on her to get the win there. And, of course, Rafa Nadal doing the only normal thing that we've seen in the entire year of 2020. And that's him winning a French Open, even if it is in October. Uh, that was really cool. And, uh, yeah, let's go. Best of luck with baseball today. Uh, Tomorrow, of course, we'll get into the NFL stuff with this weird Tuesday football game. And, again, later on in the week, maybe it'll be tomorrow. We'll see when the markets kind of come up. We're going to get into some prop markets, rushing yards, receiving yards, passing yards, kind of break that stuff down. That's going to be super fun. Happy Thanksgiving to all the Canadian folk out there. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can catch me on Twitter at mrusauthentic. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.